and welcome to this month's Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. Today, we're speaking to Melato Uchenna Okori, a Nigerian writer who lives in Ireland. Her collection of short stories, This Hostile Life, published by Skane, partially reflects her time living in a direct provision hostel, or DP, which is a controversial way Ireland deals with asylum seekers. Although she speaks about her writing process and her time in DP in the author's note of the book, Malatu explains for our listeners what her stories are all about. The collection has just three different short stories. In the author's note, I did write about the place where I was when I wrote them. I was living in direct provision, which is kind of like a hostel form of accommodation for people who are coming to the country that's in Ireland where I'm living to seek asylum. This was where I was when I wrote the stories. The stories in this collection, they're not all about direct provision per se. They're all just different stories which were chosen by the publisher. So, so the author's note is just kind of explaining where I was in terms of emotionally and mentally at the time the stories were written, as opposed to talking about the stories themselves. And to understand your emotional and mental state while you're reading this, I think is very important because uh, it really reflects on the characters who are in the various stories. One of your stories called Under the Awning is um, about when a Nigerian woman reads her story out in a writing class about living while black in Ireland. And Mm -hmm. the other writers don't like the piece and they criticize her use of the second person. Sometimes you you write a story and you don't remember, you know, what exactly you were going through at the time you wrote it. So I know that it was just a collection of experiences that were shared by my friends and I. You know, you sit down and probably someone just maybe they went to the shops and something would happen or they were on the bus and something happened. You know, all of these stories that were just were telling each other at the time was just what came together in Under the Awning. I remember writing it at the time I was attending a sort of creative writing workshop, you know, and I presented, I was very nervous presenting the story, by the way, because I knew it was very, you know, in your face. But I had shown it to quite a lot of people, my Irish friends and other friends of mine who were not necessarily black, and they all, you know, were okay with the story. Even my Irish friends were okay with the story. And they said, well, if, you know, these are happening, so why not? So it wasn't just that I wrote the story in the middle of the night and I brought it out. When I showed it at the, you know, when I read it out during the workshop and the reaction I got was quite shocking. No one seemed to, well, a few people were on my side, but they were international, you know, like they were, I think it was just this American person. So the reaction wasn't very great. So I thought about maybe mellowing the tone of the story per se to see people, but you know, I didn't just want to, there was just something about not wanting to touch the story, not wanting to add other things to it to, to appeal to the Irish, or as I was advised to do within the creative writing workshop. And I thought, no, actually, I don't want to temper the tone of this story. I don't want to do anything about it. This is just how I wanted to start. And I think that was just just playing around with it and finding it was just how the idea of writing it in form of a story within a story came. That context helped me to, or I think would help to mellow the tone of the story and not be that harsh or not jolt people. I think I'm using the word harsh now because of all the criticism I've been getting, I'm not thinking about it as an it's harsh, you know. The story is about things that have happened to this woman. There's a lot of overt racism in it. But then she also makes a comment, the reason why I'm late is because they stopped the bus because it's raining. I mean, Nigeria, this would never happen. There's so many lovely little nuances in the story that convey 
perhaps a little bit of homesickness and also like the brutal day-to-day -day issues that come up in the tiniest of situations, even waiting for the bus. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's everywhere. It's not my job to point out things to people or say, oh, you're in self-denial if you're not admitting that these things are happening. But at the same time, I don't think it's fair to ask someone to curtail or to censor their feelings because all of these works out in the story are fiction. I don't claim that any of these things is me, you know, as a person. Music or stories or whatever it is that we're doing, that it just there's inspiration behind it. And it, it's unfair to have someone to temper the tone or to, or to write it in a certain way just because it doesn't appeal to some party. There's another story in there called The Egg Broke. You look at a different perspective. The, the beauty of this short story collection, the book isn't very long, but it really packs mm -hmm. a punch. Because in The Egg Broke, you look at a different perspective of a woman who's going to give birth to twins. She's in Nigeria, in the rural areas. And it's also not recent, of course, because our listeners on the continent know that having twins was an issue Back in the day. Back in the day, definitely. And um, you present this from the perspective of a woman who's scared, of course, because she's about to give birth, she thinks, to twins. I have other stories that are like that, that's kind of almost, I would say, historical stories that I've written. And um, the egg book is part of that. I think remembering stories I was being told, probably, now, which is not the case. <laughs> but, you know, as a child, you, you're not aware of the information that floats around you, that you so I think just being in, in a space where your mind is allowed to roam and think and just free to think, you know, helped me to recollect some of these snippets of information that I didn't know were there. And that was just what um, came out in the story, the egg book. But I do remember that it was my mother talking about distant relatives of ours. And she was saying that the woman had twins at that time and that they were taken away from her and that um, she ran away from the village. And I remember that kind of um, a sense of relating that to my life as well, which inspired that story, uh, Ed Brooke. Just that sense of someone, how do other people, what would, it would have meant for her. And in the story, every other person seemed to have accepted that that was going to be the fate of the children when they were born or the twins when she gives birth to them. But the loss is with her, or that she was still grieving for those children and she was still searching for them when every other person had moved on. I think that was just what the story was for me. The situation was normalized for everyone but the mother, of course, who was, yeah. yeah. And you find that around you, like sometimes, you know, in a lot of things, it's only the victim. The situation could be normalized for everybody else apart from the person who is feeling it the most. That was the case for the woman in this story. She had to get up for, for herself and fight and search. And, and, and I think that every of those kind of social issues that someone just has to do it. And sometimes it's always the victim who has to make things right for themselves. In any case, that kind of filters down to other people. I wanted to create this character that this thing has happened to and who decides to, to create a change within her environment and for herself as well and not just give up and accept what was going on or what was being meted out to her. All of these customs, all of these ways of doing things and all of that can be challenged and, and she was doing it. The title piece, This Hostile Life, it's about African refugees who were stuck in a horrible situation called mm -hmm. direct provision, as you spoke of er mm -hmm. earlier. Um, but the the great thing about this is that they're all in the same situation, but they're not all from the same place. Some are Nigerian, some are Congolese, mm -hmm. and they take with them 
all the conventions like, oh, don't trust Nigerians or oh, Congolese, they make too much noise. But they bring this with them when they're in this horrible situation. The relationship or the dialogue between Beverly, who's the main protagonist, mm -hmm. dealing with Mummy Deo and Gozi and the others mm -hmm. is, is really fabulous because the dialogue is what makes the whole story. With that story, I wanted to talk about life in direct provision. I wanted to capture what it feels like, what a day or something like that feels like living in a place like that. And it was just how do I capture this in a way that is fun, not too heavy. And there was just so many things I was thinking about. So that story took a lot to get to that stage. It was just going back to it, going back to it, going back to the fashion area until it got to that to the stage where I had to let it go. There's a lot of movement within that, not in terms of the story, but there was just a lot of work that had to be done within that story to get it to the point where I was happy there was just an upbeat kind of story and not a story that would sadden someone reading. I wanted it to be a happy, a happy story, per se. It's, it's very joyful because <laughs> these, because they're like bouncing off each other, saying d different things, trying to figure out how they can get, for instance, there's one mm. issue with honey, trying to get honey. It's also in a Nigerian pigeon mixed, and you're there because when you read a lot of the dialogue of what people are saying, you're there. It, it's not a crisp proper British English. I wanted to be, to be as authentic as possible. I don't know what that means, but sometimes we were all finding a way to, because the people, everyone was just speaking different, had their languages and all of that. I used to say that it's kind of like a mini United Nations mini hostel. And everyone was just trying to understand and speak to each other. You know, it doesn't matter how we were doing it. Sometimes it's with broken English. Sometimes it's with signs. Sometimes it's with a smile. Sometimes it's with a nod. Mm -hmm. so, but there was just communication going on. Sometimes it's, it's even with companionable silence. All of these things were just some form of communication. Just like if I had met you there, we probably would speak a different kind of English than somebody, I would speak with somebody else. And, and that would be the case with you. You speak a different form of English. It depends on who you're talking to. So you kind of just make all these adjustments. And I wanted the language to, to be reflective of what is common. And now an excerpt. Malatu reads a selection from the short story and the book of the same name, This Hostile Life. Who is this number? I asked Ngozi. She's my close Nigeria friend. And me, I like her very much. She talks free, free like me and does not care about anybody. People tell me before, when I first come to this hostel, be careful of Nigerians. Do not make friends with Nigerians. Nigerians like to make trouble and fight too much. The management don't like Nigerians. It's not like that for my last hostel where everybody do everything together. For me, I still listen and I go close to my own people and I make friends with only Congolese people and go only Congolese party. But now, me, I know no one is good complete. And no one can do you bad like your own people. So me, I start to make friends with Nigerians again. And if they do me bad, I show them I don't come Europe to take shit from anybody. Now, they laugh and say, Beverly, you're crazy. And they make my hair for free and give me good price for sew my clothes. Now, all Congolese people come to me and they start to say, please, Beverly, for connect them to my Nigeria friends. Ngozi is one for answer me. She points for some place behind Ngozi and says to me, you better go quickly and get your number. Then come back and I'll tell you where I see gray hair for my body this morning. Everybody laugh again. I look behind Ngozi and see one man. He's wearing the uniform for the hotel security. I never see that man before, me I say. 
He knew my sister, Mommy Dayo, tell me for sad words and shake her head like something disappoints her. I speak too wrong. He's from one of those fake Oribo countries. Me, I don't like all those people. They resist Pastor She look for where the man is stand. Only something for his hand and his. Ngozi laugh and push Mommy Dayo's shoulders more. This woman, she say, you're too funny. Omesi look Mommy Dayo with no laugh for her face. She has told me before that Mommy Dayo is too old to be talking the way she talk. Me, I look at the man again and he look me and look away. Maybe he can tell we are talk about him. Even though I don't like the way Mommy Dayo look the man like fight. I don't say anything to her. Me, I know Mommy Dayo don't like anybody. I always say something bad about everybody. Those Muslims, ah, me, I suspect them too much. Oh, I don't follow them do anything. That Cameroon girl, do she like to do shakara? I don't know who she thinks she be. Congo, they crazy past Nigeria. We Nigerians, the only mouth we get. But Congo, feet take knife, fight you. Eastern Europeans, they be fake or evil. Irish people, two day code, whisper, whisper all the time. She has warned me about Ungozi many times. She said, be very careful. Evil people, Nari scorpion. If you stop to watch them for one minute, anything you see, you have to take it like that. Me, I like you. That is why I'm telling you all these things. She even won me for women from Franca kind of countries, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Uganda, South Africa. She won me about them. From everybody, me, I know she hates Bini more. I know this because she don't like messy. She said Bini people now they view best for everything. They'd be best liar, best criminal, best prostitute, best husband, such And she's telling me this, she's count her finger, all the bad, bad things for this one, and then be best for them. Me, I'd be Nigeria, that is why I know all these things. This hostile life, I know it's been very popular in Ireland. How would you say it has shed light on the situation of the horrible deal of direct provision? Do you think that people are more aware now because your stories could be called a game changer in considering that people didn't, perhaps they now are more aware and perhaps things are moving? I mean, how do you see the situation right now? The first reception was was of, um, yes, this is supposed to be said. And then it got taken over by all of this kind of political agenda of certain people wanting to cast it into like a, a black and white issue, situations like that. And then people feeling that you are criticizing their country and who they are and trying to brand them as racist, that they are not. All of these things are taking place. And of course, um, the person that will be the recipient of all the negativity would be the, the writer. But... I think that I would always sound very proud of the work, and I hope that it brings about positive change. There will always be this a camouflage. Of course, you always get it. Sometimes you have to scratch a little bit to find out people's motives, because I see that there's a lot of um, campaigns against DP, and I understand that. But at the same time, when people start targeting, there's always been some kind of target against DP centers that have been set up. In a way, I'm wondering, okay, is this a genuine concern for the people or is this a way of not letting certain people come and live in your community? So you have all of these which you, you just, you can't know because everybody is campaigning against DP. And some people are genuinely campaigning against, okay, let's find a better solution to this thing. But some people are just using that campaign in terms of we don't want this. This is now a way of us to come together as a group and fight against this certain group of people coming to live amongst us a gray area but i hope that people would understand that at the end of the day 
we are all human beings and we all have the same feeling. And what you would want for yourself is what you should actually wish for somebody else. What I hope to do to achieve with the book was just to put a face to the people that are classified, that are called asylum seekers, and put a face to them and say, hey, they're human beings, they're breathing, they're talking, they're like you, you know, they're everything that you are, they equally are. I hope that, that, that the book was able to achieve that. But then, of course, some people would use it to want to manipulate it to their own agenda. But hopefully, I always believe that the good will always outshine or the bad. So I hope that, you know, there will be some good out of it. But I change these things. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. If you're not already a regular podcast listener, subscribe to RFI Africa Stories in the 55 on your favorite podcast platform and check out our previous programs. Until next time.